Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Okay, so I'm here with Acha Bas and Martin Seifert this morning. Thanks for joining me, folks. No worries. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. We're a bit of an experiment here. We've, um, we've actually done these internally um, with about 10 different software companies that build on top of Microsoft 365. And we've got lots of feedback that hey, this would benefit people who listen to the show publicly. And so Martin has graciously agreed to be the uh, crash test dummy for us here on this new segment, um, talking about Microsoft 365 developer platform and what he's built over there at Office at Work. So Martin, can you introduce yourself quick, just so people know who you are? Sure. My name is Martin Seifert. I'm CEO of Office at Work, and I'm mainly responsible for the products and the interaction with Microsoft. Awesome. And Aicher, I know people have probably seen you on YouTube videos and so forth, but maybe for those that haven't yet heard you on a podcast forum, um, who are you and what do you do at Microsoft? Uh, thanks, Jeremy, for having me in this series. Um, my name is Aicha Bash, and I'm a, a cloud developer advocate at Microsoft, mainly focusing on Microsoft Graph, Teams, and Microsoft Cloud integration development. And I'm super excited for this podcast series. This is my very first one. That's good. Well, we're going to get you on for all these ISV interviews. So I'm excited to see how this goes as a co-host with you. And lots of we've had lots of offline talks about everything with this, so I'm glad to hear that people will benefit from hearing you talk in these podcasts. So thank you. Yeah, super excited. Thanks, Jeremy. I guess the, the best thing to do to set context is just to explain what are the Office at Work products and how do they benefit the Microsoft 365 user base? Well, our products are focusing at simplifying work. I mean, that's like a overall thing, which is difficult to grasp, but we have um, focused, we're focusing on making things like templates available to everybody across departments, across applications, making things like content available that people can share easily because in organizations often uh, you have to reuse existing stuff. And if that's not shareable easy then it becomes difficult and the other area we're doing is personalization of of a content so email signatures is a typical thing for personalization or letterheads which if you're in a big organization with hundreds of of, of subsidiaries and addresses it becomes uh, really tedious to organize that so it's kind of getting rid of boring stuff with a little technology so that users have it easier yeah, I, I do feel the pain on the templates. Every time I start a new spec document internally, I'm forever going hunting on the enterprise search. Like, where was that template? And typically what I do is find the last one I did, gut it, empty it out, and then start using that, which is not always the best thing to do, right? Yeah, that's what we're trying to avoid. So that, uh, you know, once a template is, is faulty, you'll hardly get it out if it's not really declared where it is and people actually go and get that. It's difficult to, to, to get uh, mistakes out of the organization. So I think it's a totally underestimated topic, managing templates properly. And uh, Martin, how long have these uh, solutions been available for the customers? Well, we have been, we came from an on-prem world. I'm not going to talk about that. And we moved them to the cloud about seven years ago. Uh, so we've been active in the new cloud apps for the last seven years. And uh, that business model and that whole architecture and, and our technology stack is so much cooler. So we are really enjoying ourselves currently. 
I'm going to quote you on that when you email me yeah. sometimes with your complaints one. <laughs> <laughs> now, you always have to look at everything in the perspective. You know, the world changes in all perspectives, in all aspects, and so does the development. And just having every single customer with the same infrastructure is, is a new world. Before, you had to install yourself on machines and everything was different. Now, there's a cloud service and the max of cloud service is the same for every customer. It's so much easier. It's, it's, it's gigantic times easier. Definitely. Yeah, so funny when you think back to what it used to be. Um, I was actually having this conversation just recently about like the evolution of this, even with Satya coming on board and the flip switch happening of releasing to iOS devices. You know, before Satya came on, there was really no way that ever were PowerPoint Excel was going to be on a Mac or an iOS device. And, you know, it was all almost sitting there ready to go. And then just took that world to evolve for the developer side so that you could basically reach every user, no matter what device they're on, was just such a big leap for us on on this platform, Um, which is kind of a a nice segue, right? Like, where have you built these products? What platform technologies are you using inside of Microsoft 365 so that users can kind of touch your stuff and help them? help them work so the obvious, obvious ones to list up are of course the hosts the different hosts we're using so it's outlook powerpoint word excel sharepoint teams where we have integrations with the um, extensibility points those those things offer but then of course technology wise we are using things like msal the graph to fetch data spfx to create some solutions office add-ins teams apps infrastructure pieces graph extensions we are heavily used drive items personal contacts uh, sso capabilities from azure ade then we build all the stuff on the Azure platform, so we've got uh, quite a little a little stack from the from on that side. So our stuff is all platform as a service, not infrastructure service, and really proud about that because it just makes it so much easier to maintain, and you don't have to, you know, maintain PCs or, or servers. We don't have servers. That's that's just awesome. Oh, that's great. So um, you actually build everything on top of Microsoft Cloud. You leverage from uh, Azure solutions as well as Microsoft 365. And um, you listed everything I ever knew in the Microsoft 365 world. <laughs> so <laughs> you have solution for everything, which is pretty cool. There's a bit more, for instance, Fluent UI is what we're using. We believe that our our UI should be really familiar to the users. And luckily, there's something out there like, like, like Fluent UI. And then to keep in the F word area, it's something which is called Fluid, which we're also experimenting with. And it's it's just, you know, it's it's, it's a rapid changing um, life cycle we've got here. And, and that means is opportunities every half year is a new opportunity you can go down. And that's super interesting. Also from an engineering point of view, it keeps people happy, it keeps them occupied, and it's just that much more fun. And if work's not fun, then you better forget it. <laughs> That's amazing how you can keep up with uh, what is new in the market, in the cloud, and then upgrade with the easiest solution, uh, make customers happier. Uh, I was wondering, where did you start first? Uh, where did you start building first? Um, and why did you choose building with that technology in the first place? Okay, that's more legacy driven. Uh, our on-prem solution was purely office Based. It was very heavy in Word and 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 uh, PowerPoint. It was not so heavy on Excel, not so heavy on Outlook. 
Um, so that's where we started. And, and uh, the great thing with the cloud and the standardized platform, as we talked about before, is that every customer had the same. So we actually could put our toes into SharePoint. We could, when Teams came along, we felt confident to also tap into Teams because we knew it's, a, it's, it's, it's cross-platform. It's not, it's not going to open up a, ton of, a can of worms where you, you have to take care of thousands of different variations. No, it's, it's, uh, it gave us far more confidence to go into far more more endpoints than we did before and uh, we have a far richer offering today with far less support than what we had in the past so it really is a drastic uh, change that we went through and we're enjoying it so i guess from your side because you have been in this market so long this question might be different to some of the newer companies that are in this space but when you first released these products how did you bring them to market like what from the time of starting developing to actually getting them into customers' hands, as a company, what were you doing to get, get people out there to be aware of it and purchase it and everything in between? Well, there's there's like two aspects on that. One is the, the market awareness that they can find your solution. And there's one thing I can talk about there. And then the next thing is the discoverability within the platform itself. So people, when they've installed it, they actually find it. And both areas have dramatically improved. So in the beginning, there was something called Office Store, which only had an interface within the Office applications. Later on, uh, there was a new thing called AppSource. And now everything's kind of moving there. And uh, uh, app source is providing or driving multiple store experiences in different places. So the discoverability or, or, or the the market awareness, we certainly got through the Office Store and App Source today. I, I, uh, I've got a few numbers which are interesting. So before we had stuff in the Office Store, our percentage of international customers was about 3%. And with the App Source and Office Store visibility globally, it quickly went beyond 70%. And that was without hiring anybody in a different country, all out of our local home base. And without a global store, that would not be possible. So that was one thing. And the other thing was uh, all these add-in extensibility uh, surfaces improved over time. And uh, we obviously also helped uh, provide tons of feedback. So we engage heavily wherever we can to improve the platform as such. And it led to things like, you know, add-ins appearing on ribbons so that people can see them or loading automatically. And that, again, makes a big change to the usage where uh, it's all about reducing friction, one friction finding customers and then friction customers using it. And this is a constantly evolving thing, which we are happy to participate in. And we see great, great improvements over time. Uh, you mentioned Office Store. How about Team Store? Uh, are your solutions available in a Team Store? Absolutely. You'll find <laughs> our stuff in all the stores. We've got, we've got like over 25 store listings. And of course, every solution that makes sense in Teams, we bring to Teams and we follow the APIs there and we seek out opportunities to bring uh, bring more of our experiences in the, into those apps because we believe, you know, it's... it's um, the user's eyeballs are already occupied. They're looking at something and making sure you can 
be among the surface they look at is, is super important. And if people now tend to have their eyeballs in and, and around teams, then you just have to make sure you're part of that. Otherwise, they will not see you, they'll use you and not benefit from your stuff. So yes, we're always on the search for making sure our apps and add-ins are discoverable and placed at the right location. And this might mean something you either might not want to share or you don't have the numbers off the top of the head to be fair about it. But your business model, are you basically leveraging the store as your only source of funnel or do you do other things outside of the stores? Do you have like an internal sales team or an executive sales team that targets bigger markets? Like how how do you work as a company? Because I think the reason I ask this is there's a lot of people that maybe have a really great idea. And they just want to see that it's believable. And I think from my perspective, you're like one of the best showcase in this space for this. And so I just wondered if there's anything you can share there in the way you're set up as a company. Yeah, sure. I mean, just remember we for the legacy where we started off with on-prem, there was no stores. We did everything, the whole back office, the whole commercial stuff was one-to-one direct with customer. And then later we we, we got the stores and uh, in the beginning they were non-transactable, later they became transactable. And we had a lot of learnings there, you know, pricing changes and all these uh, trial versions. And there's just a lot we learned on the way. And because of our journey, we, only ha- we, we currently have a hybrid model so there's some like or the old traditional customers we keep them we keep serving them directly uh, they not may not want to go to the store and then we've got a complete new breed of customers which we only were able to get via the store uh, also in terms of the you know the amount of effort to deliver something uh, or to just to write an inv- invoice for three subscriptions that makes no sense if you do that manually that has to be done automatically and it opened up the completely new type of customer more the smaller customer and the self-serve customer which we never had in the past so back to your question, Jeremy, I think it's like a mixed environment, but we've got a clear goal. Our goal is to move the stuff into the store because, you know, the people here enjoy developing software, doing the engineering work. We don't love the back office stuff and we don't think that's our core competency. So we engage with the with the store team and try to give them our vision and, and, and help them make the steps towards our vision, which would be, you know, dealing everything by the store uh, so that we uh, can, uh, you know, focus on what we love most. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate you sharing that. And as a follow-up question, are there particular business or company verticals, certain industry segments that you target from a, with the templating? Or I guess with your product, it might be that you it doesn't really matter. Like everyone's going to want templates in some form or another, right? Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter at all. We've got legal offices, engineering organizations, education, financial industry, retail, you name it. But what we are finding is differences in countries and industries where it kind of makes sense based on our success in certain areas, which I couldn't tell you why that piece is more successful in that market right now. I think it's kind of like a time fit situation where you just be, seem to be at the right spot at the right time. Uh, we, we do see patterns there. And of course, we try to use them. Uh, so we do extra marketing outside that take into account what we're learning from the store, because the store is kind of like uh, uniform. We've got the same appearance everywhere. Uh, but maybe I have to ex- uh, extend this um, a bit with the localization we did. Our apps are in over 
40 languages available and uh, that, that's kind of that's kind of a need you know you say wow i mean uh, we're doing it very cheaply you know we're doing it um, i'm maybe even um, too shy to talk about that but we just believe it's super important to do it because if you're not there in the native language even if the language is not perfect at least uh, you 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 you're making the effort and and people um, have it far easier to use your software because not every country you know uh, believes in talking foreign languages some just prefer their own and and they may not speak english or in my case i'm from switzerland so they may not speak french or italian or german or as for sure not romanish that's that's too exotic <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with the localization. It's quite critical, not only for the product itself, also the documentation or uh, guidance of using the product itself. Having uh, one line, two lines of local language makes a huge difference. We, we were guided here by the language selection the store already made. So obviously there was some brain work involved in, in, in Microsoft deciding what languages to, to, to come up with. We did check them based on population and so, but basically we followed those. So whatever language Microsoft supports in the store, that's the language we also support in our apps. I think actually just as a point, like it's amazing to think that both of you, you know, in your normal personal lives are you using english day to day or do you use other languages like is i mean, obviously i know you can speak them but is english not your primary for me it is i'm i'm half british half swiss so therefore uh, i'm i'm i think more in english than in german or in swiss german but uh, obviously when i step out of the house and walk around it's all a different language and it's, not, it's certainly not no single word english <laughs> how about yourself yeah for me it's the other way around <laughs> Because uh, when I'm at home, I, I speak Turkish, but when I go out, since I don't know Arabic and everything pretty much runs in Dubai in English too, yeah. I um, do everything in English. But at home, I don't think or speak in English much. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Like both of you have really, I mean, I, was, I didn't know the English background, Martin, that's interesting. But it's just amazing working at Microsoft with just the people that can just do that switch like Yina does it all the time and sometimes I think get what she calls it but she has like the the brain freeze where she's thinking in Spanish and can't remember <laughs> how to say it in English and it's really funny when she kind of gets stuck but for the most part she's like bang just all the time you, you know it's just incredible being able to do that switch like that but you're right I think it does make a big difference when you're working with software that you know when you're reading things you're reading it whatever you're comfortable in yeah so I get at home. My, my, my kids, I speak English too, and my wife is is German. So it's I, I you switch all the time, and then that's just how it is these days. Yeah, I'm usually with the friends and at home when you speak uh, both English and Turkish in between, like one sentence, including both languages, they find you arrogant and they don't enjoy it at all because you know you speak half English but also Turkish and. Um, people usually don't like that. <laughs> um, Martin, I have a question for you. Um, since you uh, rely on Microsoft 365 products and actually Microsoft uh, products in general, because you, you also use Azure a lot, what things uh, would you like to see Microsoft investing more in the Microsoft 365 developer program uh, in general to ma make your customers happier? And uh, especially Jeremy is in this call, so he's in the product team. Maybe he can carry some of the feedbacks. <laughs> <laughs> You're very close to the product I'll, too, I'll, not, I'll, I'll not dig deep and say feature one, two, three. I think that's not the, the spot I'm, I'm going after here. I'm looking at this from a more 
an ISV perspective, what would ISVs actually wish? And for me, it is API first, really API first. You know, everything you do is API first and open and make those APIs not hidden, make them available to other uh, ISVs. And that's the wish I would have for Microsoft in the future, that we are lucky. Our use cases are open. We can do our use cases, but maybe not every use case is open now there. And if Microsoft, and if I'm looking at Microsoft as a platform, and for me, it's like a, a higher level platform where we don't have to reinvent the whole business infrastructure. It's already there companies already using it and you can then build on top your scenario and the more scenarios the stronger the platform the more users the more customers we get so that was my single one uh, thing i'd love if 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 there's just more apis to do more things on the entire platform uh, and kind of like a, a mind shift that it's api first don't do a feature for a user do it first for the for the for, for the for, with the api and then make it available in your own implementation but you have the api there. And that would be my, my biggest one. Of course, I could give you a list of 100 things we want, but uh, uh, that's not what people want to listen to. But that's what my, my biggest one, yeah. It's pretty amazing. And it, it is a really good altitude to give us feedback. There are areas of Microsoft where this happens. So this started with Intune, in actual fact. Intune's entire user experience is built that whatever they do in the UI, the API they build in the background that the UI calls, uh, is available on the graph. So basically there is that notion of API first where it's like there's nothing that they do that isn't available through an API for them and therefore because it's on the graph it's available to anyone as a, a developer to call externally. Um, and Identity started this mantra I think 18 months ago as well. So now then there's a lot of catch up and there are some PMs that currently doing that gap work. They're literally going back and looking at what's available in legacy PowerShell commandlets and making sure they're available in the graph. Um, and so those two big parts of Microsoft graph are, are uh, you know, championing that charge. I think, unfortunately, in other areas, it isn't always that case. And there is certainly some people that if I was in the hallways of the building where the PM teams are, they would probably run in the other direction and hide from me, unfortunately, in some cases, because they know what I'm going to go ask them to do. But we are changing that culture. And I think there is definitely a top-down push for this now, as especially as new products come to market to really think about APIs first. Um, and we've had to scale a lot too. Like Daryl was the only one doing API reviews for the longest time on the e, on e plus D, which is essentially, you can look at that as everything on the graph except identity. Um, and now we have three API architects and we have a team of six that are bas basically a V team across everyone every what we call API reducer team across E plus D. There's a whole team that basically works with the 80 different engineering groups that ship stuff to the graph, making them all better for a, a shared service. And so it's definitely improving, but I hear you. And I would be intrigued. There, I know you said you didn't want to go feature level, but for those listening that, you know, that altitude might not be able to make sense to them. Like what would be an example of one where the API isn't there, but it's available inside the product? 
Oh, there's tons. Uh, what shall I pick? I'll pick an easy one, even one that was available on-prem, uh, one of our favorite ones. So, for instance, in, in the older uh, Office versions, there's a thing called Backstage where you do file, open, new, and so on. And that thing is, that was super cool for us. As we have templates, we could actually show the templates there and users would start up the application seeing their templates. Uh, that just is not there in the modern cloud way. And as we are not going to do some hybrid stuff where we do installation stuff and cloud stuff, we are purists. We just want to do the cloud stuff. We just don't have a solution there. So that would be an API which uh, which every single customer of one of our products asks us, why is that not there? And uh, that, that will be one. Another one I would love to see that's more, there's not an API missing, but it's maybe more an, an um, ideological thing where, uh, we believe in the future that storing data is going to be tri tri become trickier and trickier. And if we store data, then we have to be trusted really heavily by the customer because we're storing their data. I believe that Microsoft already has that trust or earned that trust and the customers are already storing data there. So it would be really cool for having an easy way that we could store our app data in the tenant of the customer with API-driven interface for us first. That kind of would be, uh, it would open up more ways uh, to for us to be more uh, independent on how we deal with our data in the customer tenant. Now we're storing it mainly in SharePoint or OneDrive, and then there is an outside API, an outside UI that can mess it up, and that kind of brings some some difficulties with it. Uh, so we really want to be on top of the platform, and everything we're fighting for should actually appeal to other ISVs too, so they could follow follow suit. And especially if we want to get into enterprises, uh, security is a big thing, and being able to say, hey, no worries, I don't have your data trust microsoft it's already there that we believe is a huge uh, a huge win and currently we have that um, that mantra we have that uh, idea or that direction or architecture and it is harming a few business models we can't do a few business models that we would like to do or a few apps that we'd like to do because that's missing so there's Jeremy, really, we shouldn't talk about this. We'll take like 10 days. There's so many <laughs> things we could we could have. But don't forget, we should always reflect what has been in the past and what do we have now. And with that reflection, we have an amazing situation today. And when I listen to your words, Jeremy, I think we have an amazing future coming up too. So I'm really looking forward to that. It also means that our developers and our engineers, they have an amazing um, you know, path ahead them, in, ahead of them too, because all of these changes are coming. This new stuff is coming. It's nothing more boring than the same thing every day and not being able to improve and evolve. And I believe if you want uh, really talented people, you need to give them a chance to evolve and, and develop. And, so, and so do the tools. And if the tools are not moving, then you're just not getting the people you need to create awesome software. And uh, that's what I'm enjoying. I mean, I just enjoy building this stuff. It's such fun. <laughs> yeah, and that's a really good point with uh, like the technology and the tools evolving and kind of more aligning with what's out there in the workforce, right? Like the fact that there was a pivot towards, you know, being more web development focused and JavaScript versus, you know, writing Visual Basic in mm -hmm. VSTO. And mm -hmm. I, I think the biggest jump that we've ever made was, you know, with SharePoint and Office back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like we, it was an open thing that you could just put code wherever you wanted and it just worked. 
But then every time there was an update or a major version change, like there was hell, right? Like it was a nightmare to go push those updates out. And I think although we've put this on Rails now where, you know, you, you get certain hooks into UI or certain hooks into APIs, um, it means that when the version upgrades happen, you're, you're not in that hell of a customer having to hold back on a major update from SharePoint Server 2010 to SharePoint Server 2013 because they were so dependent on a an ISV that had built something that needed six months of testing on that new product before they could they could push it up. Whereas now that's kind of gone away because the notion of the cloud being continually um, updating and us having like I guess better contracts with developers on what they can and can't do. It, it's so much better. I mean, you, you really can't believe how much better it is. It is so much bug freer. It's so much more reliable. Yeah. Uh, I, I would just sign that 50 times what you just said. It's, it's, it's really a different world. And I think we still have that stigma a little bit. Like I think, you know, the, the SharePoint developer, you know, the normal web developer roll their eyes at a ship, someone who talk, tell, talks to themselves as a SharePoint developer. But I do think with what has evolved in the last, I guess, 10 years, since we announced like the add-in models where across SharePoint office, that has definitely kind of attracted more talent to come into this space and build products products here. HR, have you got anything to add to that? Like, I mean, you've been in this role for a while yes. now. Like, <laughs> what's been your observations? Like, doing this full time now, whereas before it was kind of like part of your role. Like, this is now something you focus on completely, right? Yes, um, I actually have a comment on the data, the number of data you're retrieving these days, especially with your templates, Martin, I'm assuming that you're dealing with much more data than you used to because with the COVID situation, we started moving into hybrid. Now I see people are going back to office, but now everything is based on teams and modern work and people actually know right now how to use the online version of Office 365, which wasn't the case when I was a premier field engineer. I used to go to customers and I saw they don't uh, that they don't know how to use office.com or all the other products because they don't need to. They always are, are at the office and they can brainstorm uh, like a quick talk uh, and they can start stuff through an email. The world is totally different and the amount of data we are getting right now is insane. Uh, I also starting see, started seeing a lot of products are investing on Azure in terms of the storage, like uh, there's a connection with Graph Data Connect uh, to Snaps and also we have a new webhook with the event hubs. Now it's becoming available for the event grid. Now I'm seeing the handling data part is moving into the cloud side more and more. The Azure side and it makes much more sense because probably for the demos I'm doing I'm handling with hundreds of data but when you actually apply the same solution to a customer like an education ministry of education or a university the amount of data you are handling per hour is thousands or sometimes millions so I think it makes much more sense to handle those data in the new uh, evolved products because those products was also evolving by the time we were handling this amount of data. And I'm actually excited to see what else is going to come in the future in both SharePoint world as, as improvement, as well as the integrations we do with the Azure. This is quite exciting to me too. Yeah, Martin, you, you know, you mentioned about the store and I mean, we've had these different models like the sandbox solution model where it was like the whole thing was just deployed into the customer's tenant. You, like 
the UI, the data, everything. And and you and you'd have to worry as an ISV because it, nothing was on your fabric, right? Nothing was on in, in your own tenants. And I think that's been something that you've kind of pushed pretty hard on is to try and make as much of that never leave the sovereignty of the customer and not have to come over to to your area. And I get the concerns that customers have in 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 that risk, but you've also been part from the beginning of this Microsoft certification program. And I just wonder whether you could talk a little bit about why you wanted to be first in there and what benefits that's given you um, by being certified by us um, with your applications. Sure. I mean, you know, it, it, it starts with what business are we in here? What, what, what is a software business doing? From a very high level, for me, software business is a trust business. The other people trust that you execute stuff on their behalf, in their machines, in, in on their computer, for them to trust uh, what we're doing, they would are asking for some security. You know, why shall I trust you? Prove to me that you are good, and then you have to prove this every single time. You know, company A, company B, company C, company D. Every single time you have got the same stuff, and that stuff you cannot really publish otherwise you make yourself attackable easily uh, if you publish all the ins and outs of how you work uh, then it's far easier to to attack you so for Microsoft to step in um, was amazing for two reasons and one of, of course is Microsoft is a global brand which everybody knows and if they say it's a secure then one would believe them and in, in our case because our stuff runs on the platform it just makes it double uh, double secure so it was an obvious thing to Try and be on the on the first row for when this gets uh, shipped that we are certified and uh, we have proven in many cases where you know in the past we've spent days talking to security officers delivering documents here documents there doing demos doing insights letting them see this letting them see that uh, down to uh, we just sell, tell them look here's a link of Microsoft page uh, certification see our product there go and read what that all means and then it's done you know it's a half an hour call and it's done compared to tons of tons of talks and i'm not even talking about the ones that are not even calling anymore which now got it and they see we're on the list and it's fine that of course wasn't the case in the beginning this whole program was new people had to learn about it but it's happening more and more you can actually just mention yeah max is very certified and then you're done yeah that's awesome to hear i'm glad and thank you for being part of that early as well it really helps to have People will be there at the beginning and 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 show that it does work. And you know, I've seen it. I've heard it from customers of yours that you know that was the reason they decided they'd move from evaluations to using their production was because of the fact that it was certified, which was great. It's essential. It's essential. And, and coming from Microsoft, the company that runs the whole stuff, you know, is is just so more valuable than just having some other market certifications. So we were clearly um, seeking the Microsoft certification as being the uh, most valuable for us. Perfect. And um, Martin, with all talking about the templates and your solutions, where can uh, people go try your solutions? Well, that's a very easy one. You just uh, to go to App Source, <laughs> type in Office at Work, and pick one of the 25 solutions, install, buy, use, gain value, whatever. What What's the hottest one? Like, what's the one that you think gives you the biggest aha moment of installing out of those 25 if someone wants to just pick one to try? 
I think right now it's a template chooser. That's the most commonly used. It's also um, fairly inexpensive because we've designed and, and priced it at high volume. And But it's, it's, it's being nicely caught up by the email signature solution, which is a more sophisticated, personalized thing. But we have just learned so much in the past and re-architectured how that should work in a Microsoft uh, 365 environment. So we are really, really looking forward. Over the next uh, six to 12 months, we're going to, you know, bring that to a different level and it's going to be really cool to see what customers do with it. And the exact same solutions are available in the team store too or the solutions in the team store are different than uh, the office? Template chooser is available in a team store. Uh, now the mail signature solution obviously is not available in Teams because Teams doesn't use email signatures. It's only mm-hmm. available in Outlook. So it really depends on um, the product that we have, uh, what hosts make sense. And depending on that, you'll see it. But uh, if you go to App Source, you see everything and you'll see what will run where. And what is the most exciting one on Team Store? A template choose again. It's um, like engineering companies often create, you know, like uh, virtual rooms for a project and so on. And for that, they create a team. And then everything should happen within the team. And creating new documents should also happen there. You shouldn't force them to go somewhere else, then create something, forget to save or upload it. Uh, and then things get gets lost. Whereas if you have the template choose as a tab app right there in the team, you just go there, you put all the templates available, click on it, create a new file right in the team. And that just, it seems like a small step, but uh, for many companies, this is a big thing, not losing stuff where people put it anywhere. They really should start in the, in, in, in the context they're in. And that's why the template choose of teams makes a lot of sense there too. Especially during the collaboration, it might get messy yeah. with lots of people doing the same thing yeah. in the same environment. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've seen plenty of people's desktops, but to see like hundreds of icons that there's a lot of people out there that could use that for sure. <laughs> well, look, uh, I appreciate you being the um, inaugural uh, interview here, Martin. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I just like to say personally, thank you for all the help over the years. It's been great to get all the feedback from you and um, actually get a lot of custom insight directly. Um, you've got a really good way of giving that feedback. And um, I, I also, it's, it's, it's nice to see what you've done over the years and kind of stuck with us. You've been on this journey for a long time with us. And just so uh, just big thank you for being part of that and all those new programs that come up. You're always one of the first to put your hands up. So thank you. Well, likewise, I can only say that you should see how Microsoft has evolved over the years where there was a three-yearly release of an Office product and you would never be able to talk to anybody and it was a big surprise what came out to now you've got direct talk, direct connections to all these people. There's community calls. It's it's so open. You can help shape the whole ecosystem and I think that's just beneficial for the ISV side as well as Microsoft. So I'm very, very confident for the future, especially what you said, Jeremy, about the API first. If we get there at some stage we'll just just benefit even more from each other and uh, it certainly has been a great great trip so far and i'm looking to an even greater trip in the future well and aisha thank you for joining me for the first one here we've got a healthy list for the rest of the calendar year to interview people and uh, i'm sure we'll get better at the questionings that we ask isvs if there's people listening that have got other questions they'd like us to ask people i think that'd be really interesting you can mention me on twitter jthake and I mentioned ITRA and ITRA Bass, Bass, right? Yes, thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's my very first podcast as a co-speaker. So this one was uh, exciting for me too. And I think that we set the stage really high uh, with Martin. So hopefully the rest of them goes really well too. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, we knew picking Martin was going to be good, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm fascinated to hear how people answer these across the different people we speak to. So thank you for joining me on this iTunes. And again, thanks, Martin, and uh, speak to you soon. Cool. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 